Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful people with the power of your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This weekend, the New York Times decided to devote its food section to helpful tips about how to make a good pot of chili for your Super Bowl party. The article talks all about the ingredients that make up chili, the vegetables, all kinds of different meat possibilities, the beans, and then there's a whole big portion of the article about spices, mild, spicy, things that are too hot, too mild, but ultimately, it's your choice. The author's approach is absolutely exhaustive, extensive. The choices are endless. But after the main recipe is listed in the article, there's an interesting recommendation. The chili's done, but don't eat it yet. As with gumbo and beef stew, chili is a dish that benefits mightily from an overnight cure in the fridge. It tastes better the second day. After all that work and you have to wait? Yes. The flavors have to combine. Otherwise, the chili might be too bland or too salty or could actually be too spicy and all you taste is pepper. You need to let it sit so it becomes something wonderful. Our gospel finds Jesus teaching in Capernaum And no one in those parts had ever heard Jesus teach. He's new. He's teaching with authority. He's almost too hot to handle. He astounds the people. One of those was a man who comes in with an unclean spirit and asks, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Jesus immediately heals the man. The people... They can't believe their eyes. They're just amazed. And as the story says, Jesus' fame spreads all throughout Galilee. Jesus' faith that he teaches is familiar to people in so many ways, but it's also uniquely different. The difference, though, hasn't had time to totally sink in. It's a faith of a different flavor. Jesus is preaching something new. The ailing man is the one who has to ask what's on everybody's mind. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? This notion, this fear, this persistent fear seems to pop up a lot in the Bible. People are afraid of their rulers. People are afraid of violating social customs. And people are afraid of God. Look at our Old Testament reading this morning, where Moses tells the people that prophets who speak the word of God will live, but if they preach any untruth at all, they will die. The people of the first century believed that God was a God of rules. And so those who taught about God taught at their own peril. When Jesus taught, he wasn't afraid. We don't always catch this. The people are amazed because Jesus speaks in the name of God, but he's not afraid to do so. 
everyone else is, as much as our faith heritage has evolved from the first century, some things seem to stay the same. Funny how some of us still shy away from God when the things in our lives get tough. We seem to avoid prayer or talking about God because we might pray for something and instead of getting what we want, we think that God's going to rain down judgment upon us. Yes, we do this. We do this because we don't trust the actions of God. We don't trust the actions of God, even though time and time again, the evidence shows us that God always seeks our greatest good. But yet, we fear, we're afraid, we avoid, and we question, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Are you coming here to destroy us? We ask this. Like the newly called disciples, we haven't soaked in enough of Jesus' style, his type, his flavor of love. So we find his messages almost impossible to believe because we haven't let his presence cure in our hearts. We haven't let God's love connect our minds, our bodies, our souls. We haven't allowed Jesus to abide in us quite enough. And our flavor of ministry goes bland. We find it lacking, and so we look elsewhere. Remember last year, at this time, many in our congregation were deeply afraid of the future, almost paralyzed by fear. Some people stopped coming to church altogether for a while because there was this sense that everyone might inflict harm on everyone else, and some didn't always know who to trust. Time and time again, I kept, people kept asking me, is that person really my friend? It was a trying time. It was hard because the people of Trinity have always been very, very, very good to one another. But external forces made us afraid. So what did we do at church? We started focusing a lot on love on the love that we're called to live into. The love that Jesus gives, the love that heals people from the inside out, and the love that unites us, even when our viewpoints are different. We affirm that the love Jesus has for us does not end, and it continues to be a soothing balm that heals any kinds of wounds that even might spring up. What we are called to do as disciples of Jesus is to listen and to be with him. To see how his arrival of God's kingdom is going to fulfill our prayer. We pray every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to let that love and the promises that come with that love soak in. Our faith might still need a great deal of maturation or curing, but we do this work together. We practice loving, loving God with all our heart, mind, and strength, and we practice loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's not easy work, and we might misstep. But we have the good news today of Jesus astounding this crowd, proclaiming something that is too out there, 
too wonderful to fully understand. And so the story depicts this by the person that's out on the margin has to speak for the whole group because no one knows what to do. Jesus was almost more than they could handle. So our call is to remain together as a community, to abide, to marinate in this glory that is revealed to the world, and to work together to break down the barriers that make us think that God doesn't care, that makes us think that God's going to give us something we don't want, or that in some way that God's going to shame us for who we are. Logically, we know this isn't going to happen because God's love rules the day, but we still feel this. Our thoughts and our feelings sometimes are different. We still feel this way at times. Our hearts need to be cured. Cured so that the very nature of Christ's heart and mind and body get infused with our hearts and our minds and our bodies that we become his disciples to fulfill his mission right here and right now. We have to soak in the love of Christ because when we do, we will all be transformed and we will help Christ then transform others, transform the entire world. Now here's, here's one example of transformation that I've seen. It's really a simple story, but it's a real one that happened. When I was an adult chaperone um, on a Holy Land pilgrimage for teenagers about 15 years ago, I noticed that one of the participants, I'll call her Jill, a young woman, 13 years old, she was not thriving on this trip at all. By the fourth day, it was obvious that Jill was withdrawing and that she was emotionally fragile. She looked like she was crying all the time. My colleagues were really worried. We decided to figure out what in the world is going on. And we finally determined that Jill was homesick. So homesick, she couldn't eat. She couldn't sleep at night. She was a tortured soul. She walked around all day absolutely tortured. Several of her roommates noticed and they asked how they could help. And so initially, we, what we said is we encouraged everybody to be very kind, very gentle. We were all committed to helping her get better quickly. A few days later, a few days passed, same kind of story with her. We go to visit the Ethiopian church on the top of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And we get there and a very old priest greets us. And he shows us this 500-year-old book of Gospels that's in the shape of a cross. It's a 500-year-old book, and he's showing it to us. And he's explaining to the kids that the words of Jesus in the Gospels are all captured in this ancient book, and there's something to live with. There's something to savor, and there's something to be used as a tool to bless other people in the world. And so he invites people for blessing. He offers everybody to come forward and he's going to bless people. And so the kids start going up and Jill's kind of in the back still. But eventually one of her roommates convinces her to go up. And she walks up to the priest slowly and she's weeping at this point. And the priest sees that her heart is really troubled. It's really hurting. And so he holds this ancient book above her of all of that Jesus ever said that was recorded. 
And he, he, he takes it and he holds it above her and he prays with her this very long but very gentle prayer, a very quiet prayer that he speaks in his own language. And he spends more time with her than anyone else. And then the rest of us go up and we get blessed as well. And so we offer our thanks to the priest and we leave. But you know, something happened in that chapel because about an hour later it was lunchtime And Jill was actually hungry. She started eating. Jill's personality finally came alive that day. And the next morning, some of us chaperones found her talking and laughing with another group of pilgrims. Somehow her burden was lifted. Her spirit was soaring. The blessing worked. The presence of Christ filled her and lifted her in body, mind, and spirit to embrace the love of God, but embrace the love of everyone else also around her. In Christ, she found her home among her fellow pilgrims. Abiding with Jesus is what we are called to do at this time of year. There's good news that happens all around us that we are asked to share. If we've got people who are truly hurting, we can most definitely offer them a loving presence. We can invite Jesus to pour the love of God upon them so that they'll find healing that they need to be changed, to be reconciled, to be transformed into the holy children of God that they're called to be. This is doable, absolutely. But there are times we can make mistakes and You know, there's also times that the fire of God might be a little bit too hot for us and for those who we're called to help. So we commit to Jesus taking the lead and to run ahead. We commit for Jesus to take the lead, to run ahead and teach us and to let us truly be his followers, his disciples, to let Jesus be in charge of curing our hearts. The late priest Malcolm Boyd prays to trust God in a real authentic prayer that I think we can pray too. And so I want to share it with you. He writes, it's morning, Jesus. It's morning. And here's that light and sound all over again. Where am I running? You know these things that I can't understand. It's not that I need to have you tell me What counts most is just that somebody knows, and it's you. That helps a lot. So I'll follow along, okay? But lead, Lord. Now I've got to run. Are you running with me, Jesus? Brothers and sisters, being a disciple of Jesus is a faith of a different flavor. Whether we run with Jesus or sit with Jesus or just immerse ourselves and savor his love, any way we do this, he's going to transform us. And it's going to be wonderful. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Absolutely everything. 